Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. Today I'm talking with Simon Bird of architecture firm LOM about the juxtaposition of property's love for a tall building and the sector's commitment to net zero carbon development. It's a fascinating conversation that covers everything from the possibility of building environmentally friendly tall buildings, whether trophy buildings are still a trophy building if they're not made from glass and steel, and whether we need to start building real buildings like we're playing with Lego or Meccano. It's a conversation that includes perhaps my favourite vision of the future, a vision of a true urban jungle in which we actually grow our buildings. If that hasn't whet your appetite, I don't know what will. Enjoy. So I am here uh, with Simon Bird, his director at um, LOM Architecture. LOM, L-O-M. Uh, whatever you'd like to call us. I'm going to say LOM Architecture because it feels nice coming out of okay. your mouth. LOM Architecture <laughs> and Design. And we are here today to talk about tall buildings and how we, I guess, how tall buildings sit with the sustainability agenda and I was just looking at some some figures sort of um earlier in in the week about the level of tall buildings that are still being built because we do love a nice big shiny tall building but we also it appears thank goodness love our planet and uh, everyone in um in the real estate sphere or not everyone but a lot of people in the real estate sphere are are very much trying to do the right thing and build, build at least, um, to net zero carbon. But that is, I imagine, quite difficult to do if you're building a really tall building. So, Simon, we're going to call on you for some expert okay. knowledge as uh, as to sort of where those two things sit and whether there's a, a solution, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, just to pick up on your your first point, I think the whole industry is pulling together in this direction now, and that, and that does include um, developers and those building buildings, partly because I think they're now seeing the pressure to not just have a sustainable tag to go alongside their building, but they've got people who are taking space are asking these questions. So it is being pushed by everybody through the industry. So there is a real focus now on net zero. And I think what we're all starting to come to terms with is, well, what does that mean? What is net zero? So a lot of the time what people are referring to is just the operational, the the operational use of the building. And I think as an industry, even in tall buildings, that's something we're very well set up to do. So albeit there are different challenges in tall buildings, that's something I think we can deliver on. I mean, tall buildings lend themselves to some of the passive house design principles, for example, minimising energy use, maximising use of fabric, very efficient overall envelope design and the ability to get all of those details right in the envelope. That's all there in, in tall buildings. There's there's two real challenges. Um, one is there's limited opportunity for renewables in tall buildings because we don't have massive roofscapes. And if we're talking residential now, there's a there's demand on our external spaces. So people want external amenity areas, especially in, in offices, but also in residential and new models such as co-living. There's a real drive towards that. But what we find in in taller buildings or small footprint buildings is that getting renewables in is increasingly difficult. So ahead of district power being rolled out, we have got air source and ground source heat pumps, which really do help out. So some of those technologies, 
But I think the biggest challenge is when we look at the whole life carbon in a building and the embodied carbon within the building materials themselves. And that is where I think tall buildings face their biggest challenge. Um, and obviously tall buildings have a great history of innovating concrete, steel and glass. That is all fundamentally getting questioned. So we have to think, how do we either minimize the embodied carbon we're putting into those buildings so we can talk about use of timber and all those challenges or we have to design tall buildings to be completely demountable and reusable both of those require a fundamentally different way of thinking about how we deliver this scale of building okay there's a lot to un unpack there yeah. um i first want to go back to use the um the phrase small footprint buildings, which I think is probably something that we don't maybe don't take into account when we look at the whole of the sustainability agenda, that actually tall buildings use up less space, um, ground floors or ground space anyway. And we are, particularly in this country, we don't have a, a great deal of it. And what we do have, we need to protect. So is there an argument that by their very nature, tall buildings or small footprint buildings are better or are more environmentally sound than a ground scraper, for example? Um, so there's an optimal envelope question, which so you don't want single story groundscaping buildings. Um, you want to you want to um, squash that and add some height to it to increase the overall envelope, because the more internal divisions we have between spaces, the easier it is to manage heat loss, for, for example. Um, but at the same time, there's there's a fundamental requirement, um, I think, which is still inherent in the planning system and the planning approach and what we probably need for our cities and towns where compact forms of development um, and having a decent level of density is still very much a desirable thing. It will keep our, our high streets vibrant. It reduces reliance on transport, it, especially cars. It increases use of footfalls. It increases use of local facilities. It increases people traveling everywhere by foot. So there is a contradiction there. But so from a sustainable point of view, it's still a great idea to put as many people as you can in one place if the local facilities and transport can cope with it. What we've got to work out is how we design those things sustainably. And, and part of this, you know, in, inherent, we're talking about tall buildings. Um, but what is tall buildings? In, in, in the centre of the city of London, then we're talking 20 plus stories. You know, that's what everyone thinks about skyscrapers. But if we go to our metropolitan centres, five or six stories is considered mm -hmm. tall. And the tallest buildings you find there are 10 to 12 stories. So there's definitely a case for density. It doesn't always mean a very slender foot, um, small footprint tower, but the way land plots are, are sold and the way they're developed, quite a lot of the time they are small footprint plots. So you're maximizing the use of those in those areas and that drives the form and capacity of those buildings. Fantastic. Well, let, let's, let's move on to the, the form then and how some of the things that we can do to build, to build new, um, new buildings that are net zero or um, just zero carbon. Hopefully it doesn't have to be netted um, <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Um, or neg negative carbon would be nice. Yeah, yeah, would, wouldn't it? And um, one day, one day. So some of the some of the methods that we can use there. And then I'd really love to talk about the embodied carbon issue because that is the 
if we can solve that that you know most of our buildings are already built aren't they so yeah. um that's the that's the big issue but let's start with um new build yeah um just in formal terms in terms of what we're i mean it it starts from the ground up so what what is what are our capacities on these buildings and it starts with what we're thinking around with the use of those buildings so we've got a very different approach if we're designing an office building to if we're designing residential and i think one of the interesting challenges at the moment is actually we might need to design an office building which we need to design in flexibility for it to be designed in the future so that is going to influence the form it's going to influence the structural layout it's going to influence um, the the size and scale, the the floor to floor heights, um, and so on, as well as um, looking at reducing solar heat gain and so on. So I think every building starts with those environmental considerations and what's going on at ground level. If you want to design a successful tall building, that ground level is is all important. That's where a lot of people are moving through. That's where all the servicing is running through, and then we're building up from that point. Um, and that really depends on the programme for the building, because I think even even in offices, uh, obviously uh, offices always used to sort, suit tall buildings because it's just repetitive, open plan, floor plates. The office environment is going in a different direction now. So, so actually, some of the things when we get to talking around maybe designing with timber and we've got different structural approaches, we don't necessarily always need to be designing for open plan nowadays. That might not be the future of the office. But we do need to design for flexibility and future flexibility and adaptability of of those spaces to be reused and repurposed in different ways. I think that that's where um, as architects and developers and engineers and the whole of the construction industry really needs to think about more the future of the building, not just what happens on day one or what happens for the first 10 year lease period or however we're thinking the, the, the environment. Um, the environmental approach requires us to think much longer term and, and that's what we need to try and factor in which is that's easier said than done but not not impossible it's a good design challenge mm. and you mentioned timber frame there and I and you know we're hearing more and more about timber frame um, buildings um, particularly and tall buildings um, over the last sort of um, uh, couple of couple of years but there's a I guess when you think of tall buildings and the reasons they're built, they, they're often status symbols, aren't they? And um, often people want big, shiny gla glass yeah. buildings that really, really make a statement. Can can timber deliver that sort of statement, that sort of ego building, I guess? Um, well, it delivers a different kind of statement because I think it fundamentally expresses um, a, a care in the environment and I think also you know tied into this separate conversation but there's there's there's, there's an argument and there's some research that um, timber buildings are a better environment to work in in terms of well-being so so it's a there's a different focus now from us building big corporate glass boxes where it's a single entity sort of expressing itself to something that's now possibly going to be more broken down it's more of a community so i think we are starting to think about expressing different things in those buildings um i don't think we replicate what we've done before in steel and glass i think it's a it's an opportunity to reimagine steel and glass fundamentally is not very environmentally friendly <laughs> um can we do it yes could we use triple glazed ventilated facades yes can we use solar shading but we really there's there, there's a different set of priorities now. But I mean, 
you're right to say that there is a little bit of um, uh, ego might be the wrong word to use, but people want to express an identity and that really needs to be embraced. Could we do a building made out of timber that looks like the steel and glass ones? Possibly, but there'll be some fundamental differences inside of it. And I think the, the, the other point that's worth mentioning with timber is, and uh, as engineers will talk about with, with much better skill than me, but the challenges with timber at the moment means that potentially it's limited to eight to 10 stories mm. because of the nature of timber. Um, and if you're going higher, then you're talking about hybrid structures. You are bringing in bits of steel, you are bringing in bits of concrete in order to deal with those joints, the compressive strength and the tensioning that's required across those structures. So, I, you know, we, we don't see much in this country. There was the um, scheme in the Barbican um, from a couple of years ago, which just looked at how you could do something in, in timber. And that was very much expressing itself as a timber building. And the schemes that we see in Scandinavia or Australia or Canada very much express themselves as timber buildings. And um, it will be interesting to know where that goes if, if the corporates still want a kind of corporate identity. But I don't think they will. I think they'll a lot of cases now will want to express their environmental credentials and that will be a key part of the aesthetic. You, you talked about um, sort of a change of priorities and I'd be really keen to know from you where that's coming from, whether that's, that's you, you know, you as architect saying, hey, hey we, we don't want to build or we don't want to design something like this. We want to, you know, here's an alternative or, or is it coming from the developer client or even the, the occupier client? Um, it's definitely coming from the occupier client. Um, I think as um, employers and um, people who are very careful about their, their public face, um, they want to be not just seen to be environmentally friendly, but, you know, they're all committed to 2050 targets, if not 2030 targets. And a lot of them own a lot of space or they manage a lot of space or they lease a lot of space. So we are seeing it driven by them. I mean, to be honest, when we mention it, we're pushing against an open door. It's more a question of what should we do? Should we go down a lead route to get accreditation? Well, that doesn't mean anything to the end users necessarily. It's a great process. Ditto with Briam. And actually some form of net zero accreditation, if you can, if a, if a, if a developer can say the building is net zero, what we hear in the background at the moment is they're much more likely to be able to lease that space very quickly. So I think already, this isn't none of this is really being supported by governments it's not being ruled by statutory instruments it is being driven i think by people and the market at large actually and 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 everyone seems to be pushing in the same direction the 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 challenges are if you actually wanted to do a tall timber building you need more than that because um people are taking there's 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 a risk in this because it's not tried and tested to, to the same level. So that that's where I think it starts to get tested as you go through that process. And our sustainability group in the office now is really starting to look at this. Um, everyone's collaborating with engineers. So we're meeting with engineers, lessons learned from what they've done. The fire regulations, which we haven't touched on yet, is a major issue in the UK, which is less of an issue like in Scandinavia, where there's more of a history of timber buildings anyway, and they're more confident and comfortable with that. Um, so it's it's it is complex. We can do it at a larger strategic conceptual scale. It's going to get really tested when we try and do it in person. It's and, and tall buildings is really where this gets tested. If it's a two, three, four story building, 
I think there's confidence enough in in, in building with timber and, and and with the technology and CLT to do that now. But when we start going higher and higher, um, much more nervousness comes in <laughs> generally. And I guess that's where you know. So one of the things that perhaps holds real estate or the built environment back is what we build. You know, we build build it to be pretty per- pretty permanent. Uh, and I know you talked about sort of reusable um, tall buildings, which I'd like to talk about. But you know, if we are if we are testing um, tall tall buildings, um, timber tall buildings, then you know we we want it to last don't we so does that sort of bring in a bit of a bit of fear I suppose um I'm not sure with with timber I don't think that's where the the fear lasts in terms of the longevity but it does if 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 someone objectively sat down and compared a steel and concrete building to a timber building there probably practically is not that much difference in terms of the longevity on those buildings but there is a perception with timber which um, when it comes to fire, obviously, if an insurer hears the word timber, then they're just going to say no, especially if it's residential in the in commercial sector, less less of an issue. So there is a, a perception rather rather than a reality that, that would stop those things, really, especially when the higher up we go in buildings. Um, and it may be we need to take a different strategy. So there are people doing great work with buildings and we will let those with, with timber buildings and we will let those get built and develop and then battle through the issues that they're, that they're trying to deal with. It may be a better approach, which is um, a potential one, is if we, okay, accept the fact that we have to build with steel and concrete, for example, can we make those buildings completely demountable? So, so any carbon that we put into there is stored for later use. It's not stored and then just thrown, thrown away. It has to be genuinely reusable. And that requires a different way of thinking as well, because we just need to think differently about how buildings are put together. So we could do volumetric, you know, um, steel framed box buildings, which can be easily taken apart and then reused and repurposed in that same form. So it may be how we build um, starts to um, starts to make some kind of differences there without us uh, and obviously, with all of this, we're relying on technology as it stands today. Potentially, you know, carbon capture in concrete, um, a, a, an industry growing up more around recycling steel, which people just want to stay away with from the moment because it's too complicated. If we can design those things in to make that easier, and an industry grows up around it, then we can start to use these things as a as a resource in 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 a different way. And uh, is it being done anywhere yet? Sort of the demountable buildings um well there's not um I, I i know there's a few schemes that i don't think they've got off the drawing board <laughs> um but when when people are thinking around these um i've forgotten the name of the google offshoot that was doing this research into a timber building and they they were looking at all of these elements of well, what does it mean to build in timber um do we do it hybrid how do we design our junctions to be all bolted together and easily accessible because obviously <laughs> Demolishing a tall building is very difficult <laughs> um, and we, we have to think about putting it up and then taking it down again. So there's a different thought process, whereas at the moment everyone just thinks about taking it up. It's kind of it's someone else's problem when we take it down. But if we're designing for that carbon that we've put into that building to be reused, we've really got to think carefully about how this is going to be taken down. Um, so I, I'm not aware of anything that is actually built and tried and tested. 
um, in terms of a demountable approach. Um, but there's definitely people thinking about it. Um, and you, we're, we're, sorry, go on. No, um, I was just going to say, do you think there is a need for um, a mindset change as well, that the, the buildings can be reusable, can be, you know, taken up and, and pulled down and turned into to something something else. I guess when I think of buildings being taken down, I think, you know, I have pictures of um, Las Vegas and, you know, a casino going up one day and then being raised to the ground the, the next and then rebuilt, built, built again. Yes, we, we shouldn't be um, using dynamite. <laughs> to, to to take these buildings down anymore because then we we're we're losing that we we can't we we should be designing things for for the performance of those materials to still be maintained not degrading every time we we reuse something so yes it requires a mindset change the the GLA you know are now pushing out the life cycle assessments of part of what they're looking at now so there, there's a lot of data gathering going on at the moment. Um, and I think that starts to ask some really good questions, which it, it is very basic, you know, at, at the starting point. Have you considered how this building can be taken down? Right. Have you considered how the elements could be reused? And, and often nowadays, obviously, the answer is, well, no, but it's a good question. And that's something we really need to start looking at. So the, the GLA in London is starting to get that data. And I think collectively as an industry, if we can all work collaboratively, collaboratively together, we will learn ways of doing this and we'll learn some best practices and things that do work practically and don't work because while these are all on paper we've still got to then test them out with the contractors and the guys who are delivering these buildings because then that's that's another thing entirely let alone the contractors are going into demolition which at the moment you know these are very siloed parts of the industry it does require a mindset change for everybody I think we, 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 we could say we design things, we can work with a structural engineer to say they could do it. It's got to be tested out in practice for someone to actually have done it. But obviously, life, life cycle of buildings were a fair few years away from doing that yeah. in, in reality. Yeah. And, and what it, so staying in reality as we are today <laughs> and um, existing buildings, existing tall buildings and their sort of carbon footprint I, I suppose and and what we can do with with them if any, if anything um yeah and uh, again I think we need to think about what buildings we're talking about if we're talking about um all the towers in the center of London you know th those office towers um we're talking about it in the office and it would be it would be great to start thinking through those possibilities but it's very hard to see them say be office to residential conversions. They might change from single occupancy to something to multiple occupancy. They could open up some floors which are more like hosting. So they, they, they're adaptable, but could they change to residential? That's always the big challenge. In, in some of like the more metropolitan or regional town centers where our tall buildings are, you know, 10, 10 stories, we can do office to residential conversions because um, we need to assess the existing structures, but we've done ones before where we've maintained the concrete structure. We've had to overclad it to upgrade the fabric. And as part of that, we've been able to add on balconies in the amenity space in buildings where there was already some sort of natural amenity or we've been able to add some by extending vertically. I think the challenge in the big skyscrapers is how adaptable are they actually? And are they the kind of things that we want to adapt? We, we know we can build all those things in one. I mean, so the shards, 
hotel, retail, leisure, offices um, and residential. But changing from one to another with things like fire, especially that that's where we've got um, potentially a lot of big challenges. It would be an interesting exercise to um, try that out as an R&D practice and see what could be done. But they don't naturally lend themselves to an easy conversion in a lot of cases. Hmm. And what would be your... I guess your outlook for um, uh, let's stick in stick in this country, but the yeah the UK and its um, you know its journey to to net zero and a sustainable future and our our continuing love of of high rise. Um, so there's there's still a demand for high rise. I mean, and I think a lot of that, which we're especially seeing at the moment with residential. With, with offices less so, so we're not, uh, obviously there's fewer opportunities in London now, but with, with residential trying to put people in very accessible locations with great transport links, there's still a desire for that. Um, and I think there's a desire from two sides, from, from developers, but also as places for people to live. Um, as long as you can provide the facilities um, for people, especially external amenity, um, I think that's still a, a a good option and actually grouping people together in in these buildings means you can get great benefits on things like services and make them more environmentally friendly so net zero operation really works well i think the challenge will be in us thinking around how do we deliver that with total net zero with 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 the embodied carbon and that's either us being creative with timber as we've discussed or really thinking about these as Meccano, if you like, and being able to take them apart and reuse them in some way. Um, so I, I think it's possible I, and, and I think there is still a desire for it and I don't actually see a massive problem with it, but it will go through a period of being challenged now. I think if there was ever a way to get people more interested in the built environment as a career, it's to say we need to start thinking about this as, uh, these as Meccano I loved Meccano as a kid. Who didn't yeah. love Meccano and playing with Meccano? Well, exactly. Either that, so architects were either into Meccano or Lego, I think. So <laughs> that 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 whole demountable approach, though, we do we do need to be thinking like that. And um, we we can either build something very solid that we know can be built flexibly for however many years in the future, or we just allow the space to be demolished and rebuilt and reused without loss of. Um, quality as part of that process and I think I think you're right the whole the need for the industry to collaborate on an approach like that is so so important because it it can't just be one one subset of this sector saying oh we, we can do this if the whole the whole doesn't buy into it yeah absolutely absolutely and and and, and everyone and the feeling you get from everybody is everybody is, is into this um, and so even with the with engineers, you know, there, there, there's a more holistic approach now, structural, mechanical, electrical um, with the architects and the developers. Everyone is very much pushing in the same direction. It's just um, we're always going to it's always going to be easier on a bigger, high profile building where people really want to shout about it, where we've probably got more of a challenge is on the slightly smaller things. They can still be tall buildings, but where um uh, or, or, or in regions where we can't, um, we haven't got the same budgets to play with. Um, that's where we've got to make stuff happen um, without sort of where people are slightly more risk averse um, and they don't want to take massive chances. And I think mm, I've never done tin before, really nervous about it. No, no way. <laughs> so the change, change, change of mindset for everybody. And we just need to make sure that's filtered out. 
And, and you mentioned that much of the movement that has has come already has been done without government in, intervention. Are you are you someone who believes that actually a bit of government invent, intervention would would help sort of speed up that process and bring ev- everyone on board? Um, yes, um, I, I think um, it doesn't. We, 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 we've got such a great resource of knowledge and people who are very keen to get involved in this. So there's already the kind of ecosystem there that can make this happen. I think what we need to do, and it's hard to think exactly how it's going to be done, but what we need to do is put something in there which forces bits of change. Um, measuring carbon is something we're still collecting data on, for example. But, you know, as soon as you've got a building site and you've got a commitment to a certain BREAM level, you know, everyone's just bought on side with that BREAM level. And if we have the same with net zero and embodied carbon or reducing the need to offset or however it's done, it will force decisions all the way through the chain before we even get involved when people are buying land. So they know, OK, I'm buying I'm, I'm buying this land. I know I've got to spend money on renewables. I know I've got to take a different approach. I think you just need some of those things that fundamentally fit into the whole process that allow everybody to think about it at all stages, rather than someone maybe sort of pricing up or looking at a site and thinking, this is how much I, I can build this for. And then realizing there's so much more to do than that. So I think it would give everybody a bit of certainty. Um, and as I said, I think the big um, the big trophy projects will be fine when people have got money to spend on it. Where where the government intervention would help is is on the smaller things. Um, as as long as it's done, I, I know sort of you know building regs feeds into this in terms of um, operational energy, and that's generally been bought into by everybody. So no one thinks twice now if you say oh, I'm not putting gas boilers in here, I'm going to use air source heat pumps. Fine, and 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 the, but that's been forced through a little bit of nudging. Through, through the chain and the statutory instruments. And I think we need the same or something similar around net zero and measuring the carbon cycle. And that's where it'll be interesting. So GLA just taking data, you know, for the next couple of years, we'll see what comes out the other side of that. But hopefully that will arm everybody um, with some different strategies and different ways of dealing with this. But I, I, I do think it would be very useful to have some central backing in this um, somewhere. A little bit of nudging in the right direction is is always required, <laughs> I think. Um, so final final question before I let let you go. Um, um, maybe a mean mean one, but maybe maybe <laughs> not. Um, if you, I guess, if you could build or design the the most perfect building that picked every box in terms of being, you know, aesthetically pleasing, um, environmentally friendly usable um yeah. what, what would you build and how uh, well, would you what would you make it of Meccano, well, obviously, Lego? obviously obviously sam that's our that's our aim with everything that we do <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i think i think now as a default whenever we look at a building now we think can we make it out of timber you know i think that the the the, the, the ideal environmentally friendly building would be something that you grew absolutely every element of so it's captured carbon it hasn't used it as much in doing it and min- minimizing transport so in an ideal world i think we'd be growing buildings you know if we're really taking it to that to that extreme and we need to be growing those resources that go into buildings because we we can't just continue to take things out the ground, which is why we have to look look looking at re- recycling. Glass is under massive amounts of pressure as well. You know that's not very environmentally friendly resource actually. It's 
there, there, there's uh, big impacts on the sort of sand sand supplies in specific areas. So it's not finite. It's not um, sorry infinite. It is finite as, as a resource. Um, so in, in an ideal world, looking into the future, slightly sci-fi, we need to work out how to grow buildings. <laughs> so the urban jungle really becomes the urban jungle. <laughs> yes. Yes, it could do. And I think, you know, planting, get, getting getting plants um, within buildings and within environments, getting green space, that, that's all very important now, um, both from capturing carbon and for people's well-being. And I think everyone, everyone gets that. Um, we just need to keep progressing the knowledge um, to work out how far we can go with every building that we do and how much further we can, we can push um, to make sure that we are making a difference ahead of 2050. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data. Thank you.